Well, it's good to see you tonight. Thank you, Hayward and Praise Band, for faithfully leading us in worship week after week. And uh, it's always a joy to get with the, the family of God and sing the songs of the redeemed, the songs of the saints, the songs that give us great hope. So today is February 14th, which you may think this is going to be a great opportunity to preach on the love of God. And um, I hate to disappoint you, because tonight we're going to talk about the joy of Christ, the joy of the Lord. So why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and uh, ask him to guide our time together tonight. <clears throat> so Father, we give you thanks for this time together tonight. We thank you for each person in the room tonight, those who have been blood-bought by the Savior, those who once walked as enemies of God, have been redeemed and purchased and pardoned and forgiven. And so, Father, may we be of great encouragement to one another tonight. Father, we pray that your word would go forth with power. We pray that it would penetrate our hearts, that it would produce fruit in our lives, and that we would grow to love Christ even more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever woken up and ask yourself, where has the joy gone? How did I lose it? Where did it go? And more importantly, how do I get it back? And I think we've probably all been there at least one time in our lives. But here's one clue to tell if maybe you have lost your joy. So if you keep doing the things you're supposed to do because you're supposed to do them and you put your head down and you put one foot in front of the other and you just keep going out of duty because you're supposed to, not out of delight, not out of joy, that may be a clue that you've lost your joy. Here's another clue you become quickly and easily irritated by things, by people, even friends, family, spouse. That would be a clue. Here's another one. You find yourself that you are not as enthralled with the glories of Christ that you once were. That would be a clue that the joy is missing. So here's a question. Should a believer always have joy? And I believe biblically the answer is a resounding yes. That joy has been provided for us in Christ, but we don't always walk in joy. And there are times when we need to fight for joy. Many of you have read John Piper's book, Desiring God, and then later he wrote another book, When I Don't Desire God. But the subtitle of that book was How to Fight for Joy. It's a noble fight. It's something we should fight for. It's something we should desire. So let's begin our study of joy tonight by considering the source of joy. Where does that joy come from? Well, we know that it comes from the Lord. In fact, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Galatians chapter 5, a very familiar passage to all of us. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so on. And most of us in here could probably go through the list of all nine. But tonight we're going to focus on joy. So joy is produced by the Spirit of God within the believer. It's not something that we try to work up. We don't wake up one morning and just determine, all right, I'm going to be joyful today. I'm going to determine it. I'm going to make sure I'm joyful today, and I'm going to work really hard at this today. That is not how we receive joy. It's a work. It's a supernatural work of the Spirit within the believer. Notice that peace follows joy in this list. And so often in Scripture, these two go together, joy and peace are together. I think there's actually some overlap there between joy and peace. So we know that God is the source of joy. It is the indwelling of God himself within the believer that produces the righteous fruit of joy and the other fruit of the Spirit. In Colossians 1.27, the Bible says this, God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the indwelling of the Spirit of God within the believer. So I don't really have a good definition of joy tonight, but I will say this. I know when I have it, and I know when I don't. And I like it better when I have it. So I did find this one definition. I thought it was good. This is John Piper. He says this. Joy is a good feeling in the soul powered by the Holy Spirit as he makes us see and savor the glory of Christ in the word and in the world. That's a good definition. I don't know if there is one that's all-inclusive, though. Um, But I think it is important as believers that we differentiate between joy and happiness. They're not the same. An unbeliever can have happiness. It's a common grace of God. In fact, it's actually in our founding documents as a country that it's God who has given us uh, the right to pursue life, liberty, and and the pursuit of happiness. Um, It's a God-given right that he's given to all men that we can pursue happiness. But we know that joy is found only in Christ. So I was reminded of a Saturday morning years ago that I woke up early. I went upstairs, and uh, my wife and I have seven children. They are all gone now. We have an empty nest. They're all grown up. But this particular Saturday morning, they were all home. And so I woke them up early and reminded them that in 30 minutes, we are going to Disney World. The demeanor of the home immediately changed. There was great happiness in the Cobb home. And rather than dragging them out of bed, we had to get out of the way because they were zipping through the house, getting everything ready. And that was happiness. Um, Last year, when I found out that I was actually going to get an income tax refund, I was very happy. But that is not biblical joy. It's not the same. Happiness is dependent on the external, while Genuine joy is internal. Happiness is temporary, 
while joy is permanent. It's eternal. Happiness is produced by happenstance or circumstance. True joy is present regardless of the circumstances. So a very common passage is found in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. And the Bible says this, Consider it all joy, there's our word, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So there's a lot packed into that verse right there, two verses actually. That very first word, consider it, means to count or to systematically scrutinize or to examine as in taking an exam. Some of you will remember the old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So when we go through a trial, usually the first thing we are thinking about, at least the natural man, is definitely not joy. Those are two things that seem to not go together well. And yet, for the believer, that is not true. God gives us joy, not on the other side of trials, but simultaneous with trials. He gives us that deep abiding peace and joy in the midst of the trials. We have to remember when we go through trials, biblical truth that we know. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God loves his children with an everlasting love. And we know that everything that God does, he does for a purpose. And we know that his purposes are always right and true and good. So we can walk through trials as God gives grace and develops joy in our hearts during the trial. I heard somebody say this statement one time, and I can't remember who it was, so I can't give credit, but I thought it was good. It says this, this trial is what I would choose if I had the wisdom of God. And so we don't have the wisdom of God, so we trust God in the midst of trials. Notice that it's addressed to my brethren. So this is written for believers. Genuine biblical joy cannot be had by an unbeliever. This is only for believers. Notice it speaks of all joy. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Not just some joy, not just a touch of joy. Count it all joy. So this joy that the Lord gives is a full joy. It's a joy to the fullest. It's an indescribable joy that the Lord gives. Here's another passage. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. First, pardon me, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. Very interesting verse here. It's written, of course, to the church in Corinth, and it's regarding the gift that they have, uh, an offering they have taken up and given to the believers in Macedonia. And in verse 2, it says this, that in a great ordeal of affliction. Take note of those words. Great ordeal of affliction. Their abundance of joy. Take note of those words. And their deep poverty. 
take note of those words. Overflowed in the wealth of their liberality, or could be said generosity, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So here on one side, we have a great ordeal of affliction. On the other side, we have great poverty. And right in the middle, we have explosive joy that the Lord gives in the midst of trials. Have you ever had times when you're walking through a deep trial and you spend time in prayer with the Lord, you're in the Word, and somehow out of nowhere, there's joy welling up in your heart? That's the work of the Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He desires his children to walk in joy. I think joyous people tend to be more generous people, as it says here in this verse. You know, the Bible says that it's more blessed to give than receive. That's certainly true. There's joy in giving. Um, If you've ever had occasion to become aware of a need in somebody's life, and you have the ability to meet that need, and it may or may not be financial, it may be some other kind of need, and you do it without anybody knowing, And you just quietly know it in your heart that the Lord allowed you to be used to bless a person. And that brings great joy. Psalm 16, verse 11, a common verse. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Did you catch that? In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So certainly, we don't take lightly the the trials and the afflictions we face. Some of them are incredibly difficult. Some of them are very hard, and some of them are very sad, and some of them involve grieving. So I'm not talking about putting our head in the sand and not being aware of what's happening. It's just that the joy and the peace that the Lord gives comes in the midst of of those things. In Romans chapter 15, it talks about the hope that this joy and this peace produce. Verse 13, Romans 15, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's very few things more sad than hopelessness. And yet, in Christ, we have great hope. And so the Bible is full of passages reminding us of the joy that's found in Christ. However, the enemy does not want the believer walking in joy. And he would have you reject the abundance of Scripture and think worldly thoughts. And we all have temptations from time to time to do that. And yes, we must reject that. After all, the enemy is known as the father of lies. And as a believer, we must reject the lies and embrace the truth, the Word of God. So John 10.10 says that The thief, speaking of the enemy, comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So how does he kill, how does he steal, how does he destroy? And the answer is, it's by telling lies. It's 
speaking those things that are contrary to the truth of the word of God. Same tactic he used in the Garden of Eden, right? He went to, a, he went to tempt Eve after the Lord had spoken to Adam, uh, the command not to eat that fruit. Of all the fruit you may freely eat, but the fruit of this tree do not eat. And Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he asks this question. Did God really say that? Questioning the word of God. And then later he said, basically God did not say. And he came against the truth of the word of God. And so how do you overcome a lie? Well, the only way to overcome a lie is with the truth. The truth of the word of God. God has given us his truth. In John 17, in the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus, and he's praying for believers, and he said, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. In John 8, 32, it says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So when God says something, it is a sure thing. God who cannot lie When he speaks, it is always truth, and we can fully believe it, and we can fully build our lives on that truth of the word of God, because God cannot lie. And because of that, we should never walk in unbelief, but we should always study and read and love and try to live the truth of the word of God as he gives power to do that. So when you believe God's word and act on it, you're glorifying the Lord. You bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ when you believe him and trust him. Another common verse we all know is um, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe everything you see on the internet? I hope not. I think not. Do you believe every podcast you hear? I'll run into people sometimes say, oh, I just heard this podcast you would not believe. And it's craziness sometimes, but it was on a podcast. It must be true, right? Do do you believe every Netflix documentary? Now, some of them are pretty good, and they're well done, but it does not mean that they are proclaiming truth necessarily. But we can believe everything in this book. This is truth. We can build our lives on the word of God. The word of God that never changes. It's always relevant. It's always true. And we can build our lives on the word of God. In uh, Matthew chapter 5, it says, For truly I, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law till all is accomplished. Psalm 119, forever o, forever, o Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. That is the solid foundation. And so the, the song is true. Jesus never fails. So you remember the account of the... Um, Two men that built houses in Matthew chapter 7. Turn there with me if you would. Matthew 7. Let's begin in verse 24. (coughs) And we realize quickly this is not really 
specifically talking about house, houses. It's an analogy, but it's talking about building a life, a family. Um, so it says this, starting in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Whoever hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So here's the question. What foundation are we building our lives on? One of them is very faulty, and one of them is solid. I love that hymn we sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Remember what Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15. He said, if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Build your house, build your life, build your family on the rock of Christ, the solid foundation. So we have to believe the word of God and reject the lie. One of the ways we do that is the Bible talks about renewing our minds through the word of God. We all know Romans 12, 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God and which is good and acceptable and perfect. We are to renew our minds daily in the Word of God so that we think biblically because if we don't do that, the erosion of the world is always there to bring our attention and our thoughts and our affections away from God. How do we fight against that? By being in the Word of God, reminding ourselves of the promises of God, reminding ourselves of the truth of God. So, as I was preparing for tonight, I began to think there's probably nothing I'm going to say tonight is going to be new to most people in the room. Um, so if you came tonight hoping to learn something new, you may be disappointed. But it's important, I believe, that we remind ourselves of the things that we already know. A number of years ago, I, was, I had a prayer journal um, that somebody had published. It was a little notebook. But I remember it had in that notebook that it had a little diagram <clears throat> reminding us that we are not to gaze at our problems and glance to Christ, but we are to gaze on Christ and glance at our problems. And that stuck with me um, through all, these, uh, through all these years. Joy doesn't come from my performance. You ever have those days where everything just kind of goes right? You get up on time, you have your quiet time, it's 
really good today and you go out somewhere and you get an opportunity to share Christ with somebody and it's just like, and all of a sudden the Lord just kind of gave you the right word. It's like, man, everything's just going so good today. But our joy is not really built on our performance, but it's built on the Lord's performance, what he has done. That um, on a good day or that other day when you overslept, you didn't get a lot of good time in the word and it's the phone call comes and all of a sudden your day has been sidetracked. And those days are the days also that God desires to fill our hearts with joy. So the greater we see the glory of God, the greater we see the glory of Christ, the more that we read and study and obey the word of God, the more we begin to understand what our God is like, what are his attributes, who is he, and he fills us with joy and trust and hope because Jesus has become the ultimate treasure of our lives. So when you find yourself joyless, notice I didn't say if you find yourself joyless, but when you find your, yourself joyless, turn off the TV, power down the phone, Yes, that can be done. It has a button there that it actually works. And you may have some withdrawal symptoms, but it's okay. You're going to be all right. Lock the door. Get before the Lord and pour out your heart to the Lord. Remind yourselves of who our God is. Remind yourself of the great salvation that we have in Christ, in Christ alone. And pray fervently that God will restore joy in your own heart. One of the issues very well may be, and oftentimes it is, that God may show you there's unconfessed sin in your life. And that is what's robbing your joy. Well, Jesus went to the cross for that sin. He paid for all of our sins as believers, past, present, and future. So we go to verses like 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You remember David, when he sinned against the Lord and sinned against Bathsheba, and God brought judgment, and uh, he had a... He had a, a, a spell, a time of joylessness. And, uh, and then you come to Psalm 51, and it's that great chapter of repentance. And, and he pours out his heart to the Lord. He says, against you, against you only, I have sinned. And then he goes on and says this, this prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. And so it could be that the reason the joy is gone is because there's unconfessed sin, and yet the Lord has made provision. Repentance is a grace of God. It's a blessing that he has given us, that he allows us to repent. And um, sometimes we approach repentance like, oh, I've got to go. You know, no, it's a blessing because on the other side of repentance 
is joy. For the believer, there is forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Another passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 where we have these three just real quick exhortations. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Rejoice always. So joy is a noun, but rejoice is a verb. It's an expression of an inward joy in an outward way. Another translation says, be joyful always. Now, this is not a hard command. I have never met anyone who did not want to be joyful. I have never met anybody that would say, I prefer misery over joyfulness. Um, This is not a hard command. I think everything within every believer desires to walk in joy um, on a regular basis. Happiness is a reaction to something great. Joy is the product of someone great. And we must never lose the realities of the glories of Christ. We can never allow it to become commonplace to us. We should never lose our awe of the gospel. Do you remember times just thinking, I don't understand why God would love me eternally and set his affections on me? And just being overwhelmed by that. Um, Don't want to lose that. Because the gospel is glorious. And no matter how glorious you think of God in your mind, I promise you he's more glorious than that. Whatever lofty words you choose to describe Jesus, I promise you they fall short because there are not words to describe the glories of Christ. They will always fall short because he's always more glorious still. He is indescribable. In Romans 11, we have this great doxology where it says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of a God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. We cannot fully know our God because he is great. His ways are not our ways. His ways are much higher than our ways. Also realize that no one can take your joy away, but you can give it away. So if somebody offends you, they did not take your joy away. They can't. But how you respond to that offense could. We need to make sure we respond biblically when we have trials, when there are offenses, when those things come. Where there's genuine joy, there is peace, there is hope, there is love. They come as a package. The Spirit produces all those things in the believer. There's also a greater care for other people. When you're living in a state of joy, there's a desire to serve others. Do you know how many times in Scripture it talks about serving joyfully? Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. There's a joy in serving others. But we rob ourselves of that joy if we live in a state of joylessness. 
you can have an anticipation for tomorrow, not a dread of tomorrow. If you catch just a glimpse of the glories of Christ, it produces great joy for the believer. So let me ask you this question. When is the last time you just broke out into a song of praise because your heart was so overflowing with joy? Um, hopefully, from time to time, that might happen. For me, it seems like I'm always in the car, and I forget there's people around me, and, um, but I really don't care because when that moment comes, you just want to praise the Lord. Um, that should not be an uncommon occurrence, I don't think. So let me just read a few passages of Scripture regarding joy. I'm just going to read one after another, rapid fire. So hang on. Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord. What? Always. There's the answer to that question. And again, I will say, rejoice. 1 Peter 1, 6. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. There it is again, joy in the midst of trials. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Psalm 30, 11 and 12, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 42, 5. David, several times in the Psalms, asked this question. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Many of you could probably quote this with me. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. I think it's important as believers that daily we find our delight in the Lord. Isaiah 35, 10. And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting in Zion. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Isaiah 55, 12. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And as believers, we join in joyful praise in the midst of a creation that joyfully praises its God. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I love this verse. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So we live life with all its twists and turns and trials. We live all of life against the backdrop of eternity. It puts things in perspective, doesn't it? This world, this time, this season 
is very, very short. It's like a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. And so we remind ourselves that eternity is full of joy for the believer. So we have been given joy in Christ and this life, but throughout all of eternity, we'll live in a joyful, blissful state every single day. So we have that to look forward to. Remember that our joy is eternal. Singing is often associated with joy. Um, In James chapter 5, verse 13, the writer asks, Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. It's hard to sing praises and not have some joy somewhere. Um, They go well together. You know, you can tell a lot about a church just by walking in the door while they're singing. You you can tell a lot of things. Um, You can tell if there's joy, if there's conviction, if there's a genuineness. And uh, my prayer is that every time someone would walk into this room, that they would see the joy of the Lord being expressed through joyful singing. And Hayward and his team work really hard at setting things up so that we can all sing praises to the Lord together. Um, It is not a performance. It is corporate worship. That's what we do. Um, There were times in church history where the musicians were hired And they performed in church, and the congregation listened, did not participate. During the the Dark Ages, that happened a lot. But then the song came back to the people, and that's where it belongs. And so when we come together to worship, it's not about the people up here. They're here to help us sing our praise to the Lord. So the song of the redeemed belongs to all believers. It belongs to his people. It belongs to you. So sing with all your heart. Something significant happens when the redeemed of the Lord have a joyful and a worshipful heart and begin to sing their praise to the Lord. Bible has much to say about singing. Let me just rapid fire go through some verses about singing. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. That's a musical instrument. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Psalm 33, 1 through 3. Psalm 96, 1 and 2. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And may you shelter them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. Psalm 9, 11. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the peoples his deeds. Psalm 81, verses 1 and 2. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. 
raise a song, strike the timbrel, that's another musical instrument, the sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. Psalm 104. I love this verse because it tells us how long we should sing. It says this, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. There's the answer. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. And um, I just reminded, two years ago, uh, my dad went home to be with the Lord. And uh, so I was here Sunday morning. I got a call. You probably ought to come over. I got there that, late that afternoon. And he was already uh, pretty much in a coma and wasn't really aware of anything going on around him. And so a lot of family members, we gathered around the bed, and we began to quote scripture and just sing songs. And um, after a while, we looked up, and my dad was singing. And um, he remembered all the words, even like the interior verses, verse 3 even. And um, he was just singing. And finally, uh, we asked him, he said, Dad, what song would you like to sing? And I'll never forget, he said, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a great song to sing in your final moments. And, uh, and a little bit later, he went back into the coma. The next day, the Lord took him. But um, I will sing as long as I have breath. I think that's what we should do. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. May you shelter them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. But those are all Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, here's a few. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Acts 16.25. Remember now, Paul and Silas are in prison. And, um, but it says here that they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. That's certainly a great example that there's joy that the Lord gives in the midst of trials, because that was certainly a trial. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. In the upper room, after they had taken the cup and the bread and Jesus had final words with his disciples before uh, literally he's about to go to the cross. But it says this, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's the last thing they did up there in that upper room before they left. They sang a hymn together. In uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 9, and moreover that that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. One more verse, because this one is future. This is in Revelation. Chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. There's going to be singing in heaven. One final point. 
and will be done. I think about the corporate nature of joy. Here's what I mean by that. When you get around somebody who's joyful, it wants you, you want to be joyful. You're reminded, oh yeah, God is still on his throne, isn't he? Oh yeah, I am a child of God today, aren't I? Oh yeah, God does love me. There's a contagiousness of joy that reminds each other that we are to find our joy in the Lord. But also, joylessness is contagious. It'll bring you down. So we have a responsibility to each other to allow the Spirit of God produce the fruit of the Spirit within us, one of those being joy. When we come together, the general demeanor of the believer is joyfulness, even in the midst of the hardships of this life. Because we know the Lord is going to see us through it. And remember, we have the backdrop of eternity where we will be singing forever. There will be great joy forever and ever and ever. So I have nine final thoughts for you. These will be quick. Number one, don't give your joy away. No one can take it. Don't give it away. Number two, fight daily for joy. Number three, never lose your all for Christ. Number four, Spend daily time in the word and prayer. Number five, confess your sin to the Lord and be quick to repent. Number six, sing for joy. Number seven, be generous. Number eight, delight yourself daily in the Lord. Number nine, serve others more than yourself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can turn to your word and be reminded of the promises that you give. Father, thank you for the reminder that it's Christ within us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Father, we thank you that the spirit of God indwells the believer producing these fruits in our lives. So, Father, help us not to settle for joylessness, but help us to fight for joy every day, that we might encourage one another daily in the things of the Lord. Go with us tonight, I pray. May we live for you. May we live in joy for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.